My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. Well, we didn't get a perp walk and we didn't get a mugshot, but we certainly got Donald Trump in court this week. We're going to talk about that and all the other US news because there are other things happening. In fact, Marion, I would go as far to say that there is already a degree of fatigue surrounding this Donald Trump story. Well, certainly at this end, <laughs> I can confess, <laughs> I don't mind saying it. Uh, and you're right, there is so much that's critically important happening in America this week, all kinds of stuff. And But, you know, it is a story, no matter what your fatigue levels are, no matter what, if, if for the first ever former president of the United States to face criminal indictment and to be indicted and who is now defendant in a criminal court in Manhattan, you cannot ignore this story because of its consequences for the presidency and, and what may happen and what, and of course, what the story goes to that would Donald Trump ever have even been president had he not done this? And that's certainly debatable. And I, I just think that there are so many things that stem from this story where, you know, the Supreme Court, which is now 6-3, would any of that have happened? Donald Trump's presidency was so consequential in so many ways that you just cannot ignore stories to do with Donald Trump. Well, we covered this story in an emergency podcast last Friday. If you're a patron listening now, you will have enjoyed that one. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad to go back and listen to the full conversation where Marion broke down exactly what was expected to be in this. Now, we weren't far off. All the charges relate to this $130,000 hush money payment by lawyer Michael Cohen to the adult film star Stormy Daniels just before the 2016 election. But so many Republicans and supporters of Donald Trump have come out and said, hey, it's not illegal to pay people money to be quiet. I don't understand why this is such a big deal. I mean, for somebody who was put up as the man of the people, the working man's hero, to now turn on your heel and the defense be, hey, rich people have to do these things. We have to, you know, we have to shut people up who we've done bad things with or to. There has to be a certain amount of surprise around that defense that seems to be coming out from all angles, Marion. Well, yeah, but that that won't be Donald Trump's defense. Let me tell you, if he goes into court and says that to a jury, he'll get precisely nowhere <laughs> very, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, this is what's coming. I mean, this has revealed so much about, it's like almost a Rorschach test. If 
I was outside the court on, oh gosh, what morning was the indictment? I'm sorry, I'm losing, I'm losing track here. I've just got back from New York. Yeah, Tuesday. Tuesday yeah, and, you know, there was a protest in a small park immediately behind the court, like it's a 100 feet walk from the, the park gates to the courtroom door. And in there, you had people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and George Santos, George Santos leading the protest. Georgie. It's almost surreal. Oh my like the, the world's, you know, politics, greatest fantasist defending politics, second greatest fantasist. It, it, and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who I was standing maybe 12 feet away from her. I couldn't hear a word. She said she was screeching into a megaphone, but she was drowned out by protesters, by supporters, just by the general melee of what was going on down there. And she was pretty well bundled. She thinks she's a tough cookie. She's not tough enough for New York. She was bundled out of there in, in jig time. Like she appeared for a couple of minutes and then her security came and took her out. But I did see, and I'm digressing here, we will get to the meat and stuff, but this is the sort of bizarre, just to give people an idea of what it was like. A circus, um, yeah. It, it was, people were down there. There was one man I spoke to who was wearing a pair of like kiddies dungarees, you know, those short dungarees. Now, he's a man in his late 30s who owns a tobacco business in Connecticut called Mike's Tobacco. I think he told me, I'm paraphrasing, Mike's Tobacco Shed, yeah. And he's wearing this little kiddie sort of dungaree outfit and waving a flag and there are other women there there's a there was another woman that i spoke to who had trump i haven't seen this one before hand painted as a matador on the back of her jacket where he's swirling the american flag at a raging bull i mean and, and of course they're all there there are people at this event at this now this protest i have to say it was the protesters were outnumbered by the police by the press and by the anti-Trump protesters by about five to one. And the protesters there, there's a sort of a very sad traveling circus that goes everywhere Donald Trump goes. They're like groupies. And they mm. literally dress up in this, the most outlandish gear they can find. And they crave a media microphone. Like they just stand there. And they It's like, pick me, pick me. And they seem to, I've spoken to several of them who, as I said, Will they just turn up at the opening of a Trump, a Trump envelope? And this was certainly the opening of a big envelope. But they, you know, there's a sort of a sadness to them. Like this is almost their sole purpose that they spend all their money going wherever Trump is and they would never be invited. Let me tell you, they don't get inside Mar-a-Lago and they don't get inside Trump Tower and they don't get inside the Trump hotels, but they sort of traipse around after him and in these attention-grabbing outfits. And there's something sad about it. Whenever I've spoken to yeah. them, they do strike me as really sad, lonely people. You know, that the, the yeah, only... And the kind of people that are donate, making these donations that that we keep hearing yeah. about that yeah, he's that managed to rein in all these millions that they can't afford. Yeah. It, it was talked about in The Guardian about how boring this has all become in that this man looked so small and weak in the courtroom. Yeah. Did you get that sense when you saw those? Yeah first and images because of course film cameras or video cameras weren't allowed in the room all we had were these couple of images and a really uncomplimentary courtroom cartoon that yeah, was done it wasn't but great. It certainly, he did <laughs> look diminished yeah he but, did look diminished but he also looked as if uh, again we're just drawing conclusions from what we're seeing that there was a certain amount of disbelief in him that this is actually happening because once you're in the gears or in the mechanism of a yeah. case like this, 
there's a certain amount of behavior expected of you, right? Yeah. And again, you're absolutely right about that. And just to put it in context, when he was leaving, I was standing around the back at the Baxter Street sort of entrance and exit, which was sort of where he was rushed out of and all of the people who were waiting to see him come out the front of me. That was never going to happen. And the thing that struck me as I saw him, and it was from a distance of about 50 feet as he uh, was, he cut a really lonely figure. Now, I have no sympathy for Donald Trump and what he has done, but he had no family members with him. He had no, his wife clearly wasn't with him. He had no close friends with him. It was just him and the bodyguards and the Secret Service. And, you know, most people, and I've covered so many court cases, the only other person who I saw really arrive absolutely alone was Harvey Weinstein. And there were at, in the same building, by the way, it's on the ninth floor, Donald Trump was on the 15th floor. And the same sort of grubby squalor envelopes a defendant, no matter who you are, no matter if you're a president or a billionaire or a millionaire or a movie mogul, because these, you know, the courtroom from the outside, it's real Gotham City, it's a magnificent looking Art Deco building. Inside, it's as grubby and dark and squalid and depressing a place as you could go. And the defendants, especially their high profile, they're brought in as sort of a, a back area, but they have to appear. There is a perp walk of sorts that takes place inside on the corridor. And the corridor might be like 50 or 100 feet but it's thronged with cameras and it's and people shouting questions and it's very, very dark and the flashlights are going off. And it's it's very, I found being in those situations, not as a defendant, I hasten to add, but as a mm-hmm. reporter, that it's there's a really disorienting kind of grubbiness in these dark, squalid corridors with people yelling at you, shoving cameras in your face. And Trump was no exception up to the point where when he was coming in through those doors, the two police officers in front of him didn't hold the door open from they swung the door swung back in his yeah, place. I noticed this. Yeah. I noticed this and this was commented on late night. Yeah. Imagine how unused he was yeah. to that. I mean, and to me I, I like there's Exactly there was there's a there was a look, you're right, of disbelief, but I thought also fury. I thought that there was mm-hmm. a look of fury on his face and yeah. that it was more it was a disbelief in the how dare they not I can't believe this is happening. You know, I think it's that level of... I got that too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so let's get into it. We have the whole thing. We've read everything, I assume, Mary, the 34 felony charges of falsifying business records in the first degree. First of all, your overall take on what you've read. Is this a case of cut and dry? These are the things that are... Uh, water or airtight charges that he can be gotten on or was it as we said last week a little bit of new legal thinking well i think it's both now i think when we spoke last week and i'm sorry if i'm misremembering this but we did say that it wouldn't be just about stormy diners that there were you know we spoke about david pecker i think and the fact that there were, and then of course there was the news flash about there had been rumors for years about this doorman and about Donald Trump fathering a child secretly, and that the doorman was hawking this story around. This is a doorman from Trump Tower. But what Alvin Bragg did, and in the statement of fact, which is the sort of the narrative that accompanied the very 
bold indictment charges, which were which are boilerplate. The 34 charges were almost identical in format, in length. It was a paragraph each, and that was it. And they didn't give too much away. You have to go to the sort of statement of fact, the accompanying 12 or 13 page story of what was happening. And that's where all the meat is, really. So you get an idea of how the prosecution is going to proceed on the basis of that rather than the indictments. And I think what now I'm we spoke about that it would be very unwise for any prosecutor to hang their peg on on or their case on Michael Cohen because Michael Cohen may be telling the truth now, but the fact is he was he did plead guilty to lying before Congress. You know, he did commit perjury and of course he also received a three year prison sentence for committing many for committing crimes based on this at Trump's direction, which was what the sentencing memo found in his case back in 2019. So I think that what the case Alvin Bragg seems to me to be trying to build is that he didn't say outright it was a conspiracy, but he said that there was a sort of an arrangement, if you will, between Trump and David Pecker and various other people to make sure that any stories that could cost him votes in the 2016 election were buried. And that cost money to do that. That cost, you know, $150,000 that we know of in, in the Karen McDougall case, the Playboy model. Apparently, Trump, it's the indictment alleges that 30, or the statement of fact alleges the $30,000 payment to silence the doorman who was going to sell this story about Trump's secret child. And then, of course, you also have the Stormy Daniel payout, which worked out at about 420000 all told. So you're talking, you're getting up to what, 600000 or thereabouts in money that Trump paid to make sure that damaging stories about him were buried ahead of the election. Now, I thought what was interesting in the statement of claim, not the same claim, sorry, the accompanying statement, the narrative, was that... Mm-hmm. Um, Trump had said, now Trump has claimed all along, oh, I did this for Melania. I never had an affair, by the way, with Stormy Daniels, never, never, ever, ever. But I did make a payoff because I was so worried that if Melania heard about this non-existent affair, she'd be upset. So I paid the guts of half a million to make sure that Melania never found out about the affair that never happened. You know, that that was the circular logic there. But it turned out that according to this uh, narrative that, that was presented by Alvin Bragg, the DA from Manhattan, Trump had said to Cohen, look, delay the payment, delay the payment, see if he can delay it until after the election, and then we won't have to bother paying it anyway. So that really proves directly, I think, that he didn't give a damn about Melania. This was all about, you know, he didn't even want to pay it. He wanted to string Stormy Daniels on until after the votes were cast and then just not pay her at all. So there was clearly, this was clearly not about Melania. This was very clearly about the election. And there were a number mm-hmm. of other things that showed it wasn't just a one-off knee-jerk panic, that this was a systemic orchestration, I think was Alvin Bragg's word, approach. Yeah, a scheme. Yeah, a scheme. It was a scheme. Now, as I say, he didn't call it a conspiracy. But I think the other thing, because this is, as we said last week, this is state laws, the falsification of documents, which would then be bringing it up to a class E felony by campaign finance abuses and what seems to be, as we said, a scheme to defraud the voters, basically. Now, I'm not sure which specific criminal 
federal statutes, he's hanging that on. But I think there are also, and there must be, as we said, there must be New York state tax evasion charges as well, because if Donald Trump wrote off these payments, and again, this was something we did speculate about, and this is something that Bragg only vaguely alluded to, but if he if he paid out all this money and then he wrote it off and claimed a tax allowance on it, that's a felony. There's your felony right there. Yeah. He doesn't have to go to federal complicated federal finance laws at all. So I think, it will, you know, Bragg, I thought he came across in the press conference that we went to afterwards as very measured. He's not somebody, he's not a Giuliani. He's not somebody, he's not a Marjorie Taylor Greene. He's not somebody who craves the cameras. And we, we did speak about this. And to my mind, he's just somebody who's a plodding thorough district attorney who, you know, we will see whether or not he is really punished or are rewarded for bringing this case. And by rewards, I mean, if he can get a conviction. But I think that he's he seems to be doing this in a quite a meticulous way. So we will see where this goes. We know Donald Trump is next due in court in December. It's very likely we did. I mean, again, the court transcripts showed that this judge who allegedly hates Donald Trump, Juan Marcon, bent over, in my view, to be over to be fair to Donald Trump, and you know said that even if he were asked for a gagging order, he wouldn't grant it because it would be unduly unfair to Donald Trump because he is a presidential candidate and he wasn't going to do that to him. But he did warn him, and he did use the Parker warning, which is normally used for gang members and mafia people, that if you disrupt these proceedings, we'll carry on without you, which is hugely humiliating in itself for. A U.S. president to be treated as though, as I said, he were, you know, somebody like, as I said, that warning is usually applied to gang members, to mafia people and to people who just want to make a circus of the proceedings, mm. the in-court proceedings. Well, this, and this is what I wanted to talk to you about, because while there is that fatigue that I mentioned at the start, people going... Oh, this thing on both sides, Republicans who believe this is just a politically motivated thing and Democrats who are just like, can we just get on with the business of this country? Like at the end of the day, the country still needs to be run and this is just a sideshow. The knees have been taken out of this man in some ways. Would you agree that he can't behave the way he would like to behave on the campaign trail, as we know he's brilliant at adopting this character and generating headlines at every turn. He's now got to be on his best little boy behavior because that direction is very clear. If you start to engineer situations that can cause civil unrest, I will see to it that you do not do that. Now, there can't be any clearer than that. I wonder, is that the most significant thing that took place this week, that the language and dialogue that this man can now use on the campaign trail cannot be the same? Oh, it'll make no difference, Charles. I mean, if you saw him in Mar-a-Lago immediately afterwards, he flew straight back down to Mar-a-Lago. The convoy roared out in New York at high speed. And at 8.15 that evening, and again, looking... I have a theory. Now, I have no proof of this. You know this Ozempic, sorry, major digression here, but Donald Trump to me, and again, seeing him at a distance, but also seeing him at CPAC a couple of weeks previously, 
he looks physically diminished and his face has become gaunt. In short, he's showing all the signs of being a, <laughs> he has that ozempic look, shall we say. He's definitely lost weight and his face has become gaunt. But I think you're right, he does look physically diminished. But when he got to Mar-a-Lago and made that speech, he absolutely flew in the face of what Judge Marchand had just said to him. He abused and called out and you could say incited anger against the judge, against his family, mm -hmm. against Alvin Bragg, against his family. He said things that no defendant should be permitted to say about the prosecutor and about the judge presiding over the case. It was you know, it's as close as you could get to an outright contempt of court, in my view. And I wasn't surprised to hear him speak the way he did, but I was shocked. And unless he's brought back into court specifically and told, you button it now, we are now putting a gag order on you that will not allow you to speak about this case at all. You can speak about anything else you want. You're running for president. But, you know, but he really, he showed such contempt for the judge and the court and the proceedings hours later that I really believe it's not going to make a blind bit of difference on the campaign trail. Mm. He's going to keep using this to raise money and to raise outrage and to make sure that the MAGA base cleaves around him and that they, they become more and more furious at this injustice. But I think picking up on something you said just before that, it is like the legs in a way. It reminds me of Jenga. That you know the wooden game that we used to all play Christmas and and love it. Yeah, exactly. So and nearly kill our families over. But uh, <laughs> he, this is a sort of a. It's a plank. It's one of the wooden sticks, undeniably. But it's not the one that's going to topple the whole thing. I think mm. that what's going to happen with Donald Trump is. This, I think, shocked America more than people thought it would, that this is a defendant, a, a former president who is now a defendant in the dock. And I think that there is something, there's a sort of a psychic almost bruise from that for America. But wait until the next two or three or four shoes drop. You're going to have in two weeks time, okay, it's a civil case, but a sexual battery case back in New York with E. Jean Carroll, unless he settles it. And if I were him, I'd get that checkbook out sharpish, but I'm not sure she will even settle. And But yeah, then much more seriously, you have... You know, we know that there are almost certainly indictments coming down the pipe in Georgia, and that's a much more serious case. That's the, you know, the interfering with, of a, with an election result, trying to basically throw a state. And then you have, with this incredibly tough, meticulous, forward-moving prosecutor, Jack Smith, the special counsel in Washington, you have... There will certainly be, I will go so far as to say, there will certainly be indictments coming out of the mishandling of classified documents, but specifically on the obstruction end of that. And that's another criminal case. And then God only knows what Jack Smith's going to bring out on the January 6th investigation, because now you've got Mark Meadows has to testify, Stephen Miller has to testify, all of these Trump inner circle have to testify. Now they can all plead the fifth, but what does that look like? So I really think that this is something where each one of these is another stick out of the tower. And at some point, that tower is going to topple. Now, you know, it may topple when it comes to the primary but I think I think Trump's MAGA base, the 30% will stick with him, 35%. And that could be enough to get him over the line, especially if there are three or four or five other candidates. But he's 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 a, he's a wobbly tower. He's a, he's, a, it, yeah, it, it's yeah. much more wobbly than it was. Is it this is this base, though, that we've talked about so many times? 
when you talk about the rage and the outrage, I'm not seeing it, Marion. I don't know if they're as outraged as he expected them to be. They won't stand yeah. for it. You try and tell those people where were they apart from those that like their dungarees and yeah. the making uh, elaborate posters. I didn't see a lot of January 6-y type people there. No. Marjorie Taylor Greene is trying to whip it up, but it does have like a pep rally with a sense yeah. of a bunch of teenagers that are kind of like, come on, are we seriously doing this again? Yeah, it, it, you know what? It was borderline farcical. And that's really what it was. If there were 150 Trump supporters there, 200 tops, that was it. And as I said, they that's were it. the ones, that's the traveling circus. They go everywhere that yeah. Trump goes. I, I did not see, I spoke to the head of the young conservatives who was there, who, who tried to say that a million people were protesting. I assume he was joking, mm. uh, but he didn't seem to be. And, you know, a new Sean Spicer. <laughs> that, that's the <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> He'll be Trump's next person. And, you know, but, and as I say, George Santos, and again, I thought this look, if you look at the Trump's inner circle now, the people who are cleaving around him in his, who are allowed past the Golden Gates, if you will, you have like leading the protest, Marjorie Taylor Greene and George Santos, and then down in Mar a Lago. It's the rogues gallery. It's Roger Stone. It's, you know, it's all these, like the people, it's the, the Giuliani wasn't there, interestingly, but it's all of these see me, the my pillow guy, Mike Lindell. That's the level of F-list supporters that he has at the moment. And then, of course, you had Lindsey Graham sobbing on TV saying he was so upset, but please send me money. Send it to lindseygraham.com and I'll give it to Donald Trump. And it's just like the grifter <laughs> eating the grifter. You know? I'll make sure he gets it. I'll make sure he gets that tenor if you give it to me. <laughs> Honestly, it, it, it'll be resting in his account. But I just thought that, that, that um, this it's literally the dregs of the Republican Party that are still publicly aligning themselves with Donald Trump. Donald uh, Trump and we're talking about the dregs of you know Capitol Hill like it really is most people are not rushing down to Mar-a-Lago even Trump's own wife and daughter for God's sake wouldn't even turn up for his speech I mean mm. I get a feeling that he's a dead candidate walking his candidacy even if he wins the nomination you know he's going to be fighting he's going to be up in Iowa and New Hampshire all this and probably having to come back down to New York and appear before the court and I don't think this case will go ahead in January I and because it just won't be ready and Trump is a defendant like any other defendant and he deserves the right to prepare his case so I think that this case will that, that they'll drag it out until after the primary election votes have been cast. So we're probably talking the summer early May, June, maybe July but before obviously the convention or after the convention. See, there's another problem. What happens if the GOP convention, if Trump's got to adjourn his case because he's, a, I mean, there are so many variables. And as I said, then what I think is much more serious is where will the other cases that are coming down the pipe at a rapid speed, where are they all going to land? And which case mm. will even go first? I'm interested in, you know, Fanny Willis, the district attorney for Fulton County in Georgia. She said back in January that charges were imminent. Now, imminent usually means days, weeks. That's a couple of months now. She, we know that the jury recommended multiple indictments against multiple people. Um, it seemed pretty clear from that very indiscreet jury forewoman that Trump was one of them. So I'm wondering, 
is she going to, will Washington absorb her case? Will Jack Smith absorb her case as part of the, because he's not just looking at what happened on the day of January 6th, he's looking at all of the conspiracies and the attempts to overthrow the election and, and put the thumb on the scale before that as well, and which of those might be potentially criminal. And I'm wondering if he isn't going to absorb her case or if he isn't saying to her, look, hold on there, because all of these prosecutors will, of course, be talking to each other. So I think that that's going to be very interesting as well. But Donald Trump is, he's looking at an incredibly bleak period. Yes, he can fundraise off this, but there's only so much money so many people have. And, you know, the old mm -hmm. saying, you can only fool so many people some of the time. There, You really can't fool all of the people, even Trump supporters all of the time. And I really, I'm going to be fascinated to see where this goes. I know we've all had a belly full of all things Trump over the last seven years, but I think that this is going to be very, very interesting. You've often marveled at the energy of the man. Yep. Like, where is he getting it from? Like, what is powering him? We know that it's it, he's elderly. Like, he's seventy-six. Uh, he, yep. he, sh he shouldn't have this level of energy. I wondered about it last week when I was out on one of these many long runs in preparation for the London City Marathon. And I thought, like, you know, doing these runs for this, like I'm 42 years old. Like, I, I don't know where I'm finding the energy to do this. <laughs> but this is, this man is motivated by what? Like, I wondered if his puff could run out, especially when he's sitting slouched in court, being forced to sit yeah. and do something that he yeah. doesn't want to do. Somebody who literally calls the shots everywhere he goes. I'm the big boss man being humbled in that manner. I wonder, does it rinse him like, you know, like a UFC stranglehold where just the energy goes, the battery depletes a bit quicker. Like, as far as I can tell, the thing the man likes is living in the White House, flying around in the plane, being called the president. There doesn't seem to be m much this time around to say, and I'll fix things. The campaign is clear, and we got this from Waco in, in what it was essentially the preview show for the yeah. tour, that people are out to get to me. I'm just like you. People are after me. But the follow-on was not there, the follow-on. So yeah. therefore, I'll drain the swamp. You had a go at it. You didn't do it. In fact, yeah. you did a bunch of shady you shit that you're now being prosecuted yeah. for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just wondered, is there a chance that he'll tap out? Well, what would what would you think the odds are for that? I think that it's, this is so obvious, you're right, that there's nothing in the tank. This is the revenge tour. This is the retribution yeah. tour. This is I'll get you bastards who, you know, <laughs> cheated me out of the election. I'm getting back. And he, he said that at CPAC, I am your retribution. I am your revenge. Again, shades of Mussolini. But he wants to get back in to get back at the people who pushed him out. And that's basically his entire campaign platform from what I can see so far. He's not even talking about the wall. It's like he mm. couldn't care less about the rest of it. It's like, you let me back in that Oval Office and buy God, I'll make people pay. And that seems to be, you know, the <laughs> slogan. This, yeah. But I think it's, you're right about the energy, but I think also the guilt 
the sort of myth of Donald Trump, I think that some of that has definitely been badly burnished because basically he's a brilliant salesman and he was selling a myth to his followers. He was selling him this grandiose guy who lives in gold palaces. And look, you could do this too if you won the lottery or if you had a rich daddy or whatever. And, you know, he was selling this whole lifestyle. And that lifestyle didn't include appearing in court, as you say, slouched at the defendant's table, muttering not guilty. I mean, that wasn't part of the package he was selling to his supporters. And yeah. I think that it definitely makes him a much less mythical figure. It's like he has, he really has flown too close to the sun this time and he's been yeah. badly singed. And I think that is something that will, that sort of humiliation, because it is a humiliation, you know, first and foremost, I'm not sure that that doesn't permanently tarnish, as I said, that image that he has spent decades, decades burnishing. Well, in the second half of my conversation with Marion, we're going to look at someone else with a public image crisis. That's Marjorie Taylor Greene, who appeared on 60 Minutes this Sunday. Marion's going to talk about exactly how unhinged a lot of that interview came across, especially when some of her more outlandish statements were fact-checked. It was riveting television. There's so much more to hear every single week on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad, including double-sized episodes with Marion, the full episodes with Sonia Sullivan and Irishman Running Abroad, and Roz Purcell is our big interview this month on the big Irishman Abroad episode. So come on over the price of a pint a month, support our show, and continue along the road to 2024. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.